Hi, this is Brother Sam, and I'm excited to share with you To Be a People. It's a booklet to get you familiar with what formation is all about. We'll kick it off with Chapter 1, which is called Be Real. I hope that you'll enjoy it and would love to hear in discussion how the Lord is working in your life. It gets philosophical, but be patient with that. Even if you don't grab it all, the stuff you get will pay you back. It's totally worth it. We hope it'll get you thinking. We hope it'll get you discussing. We hope it'll get you excited about diving in this semester. Let's begin. To be a people. Real life in community. Chapter 1. Be real. Have you ever been at a meeting where they went around the circle and asked you to give your preferred personal pronouns? It's pretty common these days. Letting people introduce themselves and say how they want to be addressed, it isn't new. So in the moment, you'll most likely roll with it. Afterward, though, maybe it hits you. A question or or even a concern. Picking pronouns. Isn't this about more than manners? Every day we live in something so close and so familiar that we don't even see it. Talking about it is like trying to explain water to fish. They've never known anything different, so they don't know what you mean, assuming that fish could talk. This book is about a thing so close to us we don't see it. That thing is a culture. When a group of people share the same view of their world, they establish patterns of relationship based on their beliefs. Culture is the word we use for those patterns. Campus culture, tech culture, American culture, there are many kinds. Since strong prevailing cultures surround us, we can't simply tune them out. But that doesn't mean we're trapped. On the contrary, we still have a choice. As free people, we can see our culture and decide how to participate in it. That's not all. We can also build, by God's grace, a culture within the culture. We can choose to establish our own shared vision and patterns of relationship rooted in worship and guided by the Holy Spirit. It's a culture based on the very life of God, open, joyful, healing, freeing. That's what we'll be looking at this semester. Speaking for myself, when I'm sitting in one of those circles and listening to people share their pronouns, I'm troubled. Questions come to mind like, if we're claiming the power to define our gender, which is reflected in our preferred pronouns, what other powers are no longer out of bounds? Aren't we playing God? In the moment, I don't object. Inwardly, though, I'm wondering, what does it mean to define yourself, and how should I engage with a culture that plays with that idea? The point is that I allow myself the freedom, personally, to question the ideas I'm being presented with every day. I encourage you to do the same. A helpful response we can make to our current culture is to offer a clear alternative. We've already talked about how culture is a pattern of relationships and interactions and how we treat people. Culture also enables growth because we grow through relationships. What do you call the cells spreading like crazy in a petri dish? A culture. That's us. Except we've been given a plan about how to grow and what to build by the one who made us. To be a people is about a way of life. It's a place where identity and community, a person and a people, come together in mutual support. The culture we're building is not somebody's clever idea. We're responding to a call from God and we want to invite you along. 
To know where we're going, though, it's important to see where we are right now. That's why we start with our modern culture of self-definition. This calls for courage. Talking about such things is uncomfortable, but it opens the way to deeper relationships. Take a minute to say a prayer. Father, I want to see the world as you see it. I want to know myself as you know me in your perfect truth and love. Amen. Family Matters Today we are told that sex and gender are socially constructed realities. They're subject, therefore, to personal definition. If we express doubts, we risk being shamed, labeled as haters, or called out on social media, all for the sake of tolerance. The pressure to approve invades our thoughts, but there's a stubborn problem here. Sex and gender are about identity, yes, but they are also about relationship. Human relationship. Biologically speaking, we all come from somewhere and from someone, two someones to be specific. We all have two and only two natural parents of the opposite sex. Whether we know their names or not, we are genetically connected through them to the whole of humanity. I don't say this lightly. These realities hit close to home. Some in our community have never known one or both biological parents. The point is not to shame anybody, but to acknowledge that even if our family life is disconnected, our human reality remains deeply connected. The drive we're seeing today to self-define isn't as new as it seems. It's part of a pattern. It's a generational thing, and as part of the human family, it's a part of our story, too. It goes back to the beginning. Something New in the idealistic days after the fall of communism but before 9-11, the New York Times Magazine featured a bold image for a lead article titled The Final Freedom. It was a hazy picture of a man leaping off the edge of a cliff into an abyss. The article trumpeted a liberation like no other, calling it moral freedom, quote, The ultimate implication of the idea is not that people are created in the image of a higher authority, it is that any form of higher authority has to tailor its commandments, end quote. In other words, we've gone from hashtag question authority to hashtag I make the rules. If you have a Bible handy, you can see there's nothing new about this kind of moral freedom. It was first proposed by a certain snake. Quote, did God really say you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? End quote. Our enemy back in the beginning could be direct. Today, he's more nuanced. Quote, Americans approach the virtues gingerly, says the Times article. They recognize their importance, but reinvent their meaning to make sense of the situations in which they find themselves. End quote. The final freedom, therefore, is the power to reinvent meaning. It's a more modern way of saying, quote, You certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like gods who know good and evil, end quote. As we see in Genesis, the freedom to reinvent meaning, morality, identity is part of a deeper desire. We want to be like gods, all of us, not just this group or that generation. We're in this together. To say that history is really our story spelled out in our DNA is to drive home this important fact 
we are part of the same story. There's another part to this story. And so we read in the Gospel of John, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God entered our story. It's as if the author slipped himself into the pages of the book. He became a slave, or so it looked in one chapter, but then, in another, he became the hero. The people, and that's us, followed at first, but that didn't last. We didn't like what he had to say, and so we killed him. You know that part. But he rose on the third day to destroy the power of death and sin. Such a story. Jesus is the only part of history we can truly say is new. God's life has come into the world not as a formless ideal, but as a living, breathing person. What does this even mean? Does it mean we're in the clear? No. The destructive legacy of sin, which moral freedom calls into question altogether, is still part of our story. But so is something else. Grace. Grace is the life of God freely given. It shapes us inwardly and unites us outwardly. We no longer have to sort through so many confusing options and identities. We can walk in the way of Jesus, who makes this promise. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What follows is an invitation to see identity with fresh eyes. It's based on a powerful word. We hope you're willing to consider it. We hope it will open up a new depth of relationships, not just for you, but for others, people you care about. That means your family and friends, including any who are still figuring themselves out. This powerful word directs us to a new way of life, something better than we've known before, something satisfying, rich, and deep. The powerful word with two more before. There are two words I'll need to define before the big reveal, before I disclose that identity word that opens up deep, satisfying relationship. None of these words, I should say, are new to you. In fact, you hear them every day. But the meanings are so much more than we commonly assume. Our first word, then, is reality. We'll start with a definition. Ready? Reality is. Here's the clever way it's sometimes formulated. That that is, is. That that is not, is not. Is it that that is it? It is. Don't take it from me. This comes from Aristotle. Reality is the ground of our existence. Much deeper than DNA, it is the first as well as the final unifier. No one is exempt from experiencing it, and it gives everyone a place to participate in our discussion. I hope it's not a letdown to you. Reality is easily dismissed in our culture today. People who promote moral freedom and other modern approaches would have us believe not in one reality, but many. The message you hear is that what is real is what you feel. Feelings are for sure important, but what happens when we each live in a private reality born of our own perceptions? We're told it's very liberating. We find instead that it's very isolating. Think about it. Would you want to be in a relationship with someone whose reality is governed exclusively by their own feelings and perceptions? Someone who never asks of their feelings, is this grounded in reality? But only, do I feel this way sincerely? Your friendship would be governed by what they see as real, with no reference to your point of view. 
that gets old. The lived experience of this approach is that when we follow our feelings, we move farther apart. Sincere self-understanding and self-discovery is not the issue here. Both are necessary and important. The issue is placing personal perception above reality, feelings over facts. Reality is no one's private property. It stands on its own as something we each approach with an open mind and a willing heart. This point may seem abstract, but without it, nothing else can be built. The good news we begin with is deceptively simple. There is such a thing as reality, and here's the important part, it can be known. This brings us to our second word, truth. Truth is the matching of the mind with reality. When what is, in here, between my ears, aligns with what is out there, that's truth. Philosophers over the past three centuries have spilled a lot of ink, formulating answers to a question that would seem easy, but is not. How do we know that what we know is what really is? Since reality meets with every human mind differently, at least it seems so, how do we even begin to get on the same page about this thing we call truth? According to a Catholic theologian you may know of named St. Thomas Aquinas, truth is the conformity of the ideas of the mind with reality. Our world today echoes Pontius Pilate when it asks, What is truth? It's an answer disguised as a question. The message is, truth cannot be known. Our belief begins then by disagreeing with this throwaway line. Truth can be known. The mind, every mind, can be in touch with reality. These are the kinds of things you only think about if you're in an intro to philosophy course, or late night when the party is winding down and somebody decides to launch the dreaded what is truth debate. It leads down a rabbit hole with no way out. This isn't that. And fortunately, this is all the philosophy we need for the time being. We are now ready to make the big reveal on our final word, which holds the key to deep relationship. You've been very patient. The powerful word is person. Now, this needs some explanation, so stay with me. For most of us, person is a generic reference to another human being. She's such a nice person, or do you see that person standing at the bus stop? In truth, person is a word that comes to us from Greek theater, and it refers to a character in a drama. The word was adopted by some of the first Christians to describe something indescribable, the inner nature of God. Person is a being in relationship. Being, noun, not verb. When Jesus stepped into our story, an event we call the Incarnation, the infleshing of God, he revealed the surprising truth of God's inner life. He spoke of God as his Father, but also claimed the God title for himself. Then he spoke of the coming of another whom he called the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus mean that there are three gods? No, he firmly held that God is one, like when he said, The Father and I are one. His first followers, all Jews and thus all monotheists, struggled to understand how God could be one and also three. Today we take it for granted that the answer would come in the formulation of a new word, Trinity. God's inner life is three divine persons in one being. God is one. God is also three. <laughs> Relax. If you don't get all this, you can still get into heaven. 
but it's worth wrestling with because God's life is a community of three persons perfectly united in love. Do you see why this matters? In God we learn that persons can live in unity without losing what's unique to each. Our culture talks about unity. In America we use words like pluralism and Latin phrases like e pluribus unum, out of the many, one. All noble and worthy ideals, but are we really seeing this? Are we more unified as a culture, as a nation? We're witnessing growing division, competition, factions, and power grabs. Why the disconnect? I offer that because our culture exalts the individual rather than the person, we view unity and community as a threat. Commitment in this way of seeing takes something away from me, autonomy, rather than adding something positive, character, mutual enrichment. When I prize my independence above everything, I resist interdependence. Play that out across a whole population, and you see widespread fragmentation rather than union. Scattered individuals. Despite the noble phrases, that's the world's version of unity. It fails because it lacks a nucleus, an anchor, a winning and wondrous point of convergence. The center that has the power to hold all persons and all peoples together is the triune one-in-three God. That's our bold claim, not just in SPO, but in the church. We're not forcing it on others, but we work hard to live it ourselves, as a culture, as a people. To say that we are persons called to communion in God is to say that true unity is found only in God. Picture a trampoline with balls scattered across the surface. They remain apart with no clear relationship to each other. Now, place a bowling ball in the middle. Suddenly, the balls begin to move, drawn toward the gravity of the object in the center. That's what we're saying here. To pursue God, no matter what part of the vast spectrum of humanity you come from, is to move closer to the center of all being. He has that weight, the gravity, the glory to draw us together not as individuals, but as persons. It's a spiritual ingathering that produces real closeness while preserving diversity. Isn't that our fear? That unity will somehow take away what makes each of us special? Since God is where we come from, our creator, our beginning, everything that makes us unique as persons is not lost, but rather found as we come closer to him. Since God is where we're going, our heavenly home, our fulfillment, we grow closer together as we draw closer to God. This is an image of unity in diversity, the marriage of love and truth. As Christians, we don't walk around bragging that we've found the truth. Instead, we marvel that the truth found us. Who am I to deserve this gift? This is a common question in the Bible that any one of us could echo. It's asked by those who discover their place in the people of God. Moses, Isaiah, King David, and Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. For each of these figures, who am I is not an identity question. It's a humility question, like, what makes me so special? We don't claim to be special, but we also can't deny we've experienced something real. God is not remote, removed, and indifferent. He's dynamic, energizing, and active in our lives. Who are we to share such a life of grace? The Best Blueprint We build community by modeling our life together after the inner life of God. That's why the word person is so important. 
It's not a generic term. It explains who and what we are. While the world says we are isolated, self-defining individuals, like so many balls rolling around a table or a trampoline, God says we share His very nature. We are persons, beings in relationship, sharing life together in deep interdependence. That's the blueprint for communion, which means one with. Here's how the Catechism of the Catholic Church lays it out. Quote, All men are called to the same end, God himself. There is a certain resemblance between the union of the divine persons and the fraternity men are to establish among themselves in truth and love. Love of neighbor is inseparable from love for God. End quote. What the Church is saying here is that Christianity is not one religion or one truth among many. Christianity is a roadmap to reality, to truth, and to communion for everyone. It is not something we create. It is something God has made known. We're being challenged to remove God from the religion section of our mental library. He is not one subject among others. He is the source of all that is. We can know him. Not only us, but all who seek the truth can know him. Reality, truth, person, communion. Our discussion about identity and community is not intended to close, but rather to open up a conversation. We want this group to be a place where you can be real and share your life experience in a safe person-to-person environment. But we also want to say openly and honestly where this is going. We're working towards unity. Grounded in reality, known in truth, applied personally, lived communally. Unity and truth and love actually brings freedom. It is liberating, not isolating. Don't take it from us. The promise is from Jesus himself. If you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.